Okay, quick question to start. Has anyone here ever gone skydiving? No, no, no brave souls amongst us. Okay, I'll dial it back a bit. Has anyone here ever gone on a roller coaster? There we go. That's about where... Well, I should have gone from skydiving to bungee jump, maybe, but... Uh, oh, bungee jump. There we go. Uh, a couple of bungee jumpers and thousands of roller coasters. And you don't get to count the one at the regatta that you go on with your child, okay? Because um, I've been on that one and that doesn't count. Now, when you go bungee jumping or skydiving or on a big scary roller, roller coaster, there's a... There's a feeling, isn't there, that you get right before it happens of dread. Like, why did I think this was a good idea? Uh, what am I doing? The, uh, I, I'm not really sure I want to do this. And then someone pushes you out of the plane or off the edge of the ledge or the roller coaster starts rolling and uh, it's all too late. And then you sort of are afraid and then your feet hit the ground again or the bungee rope stops bouncing you up and down like a yo-yo uh, or the roller coaster comes to a stop and for 99.9% .9 of people, you get to the end of that experience and you go, wow, let's do that again. That was awesome. The adrenaline, the rush, how good was that? I want to say that this kind of uh, feeling of uh, dread as you're approaching an unknown future is kind of what the disciples uh, are feeling as they uh, are being told at this final meal with Jesus and uh, in this final week they're spending with him that they're going to have to start doing life without him. They're kind of full of, of dread and worry and fear. How is this going to work out? What's this going to be like? And of course, Jesus is telling them, better, it's going to be better. You're going to jump off the plane and you're going to want to do it again. And what the disciples can't get their head around is just uh, how different and uh, how much better it will be. And we'll come and sort of unpack uh, what Jesus has to say to them now. But before we do that, let's just recap. Jesus says to his disciples that he's going away. Uh, he's washed their feet in chapter 13 and he's preparing them uh, for the fact that he's leaving. And he's told them he's going to go and he's going to prepare a, a place for them in, in his father's house. And the disciples are a bit perplexed and they say, well, how do we get there? And you remember from last week, Jesus speaks those wonderful words in uh, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The road to uh, eternity, the road to uh, the Father's house with many rooms, uh, a home with Jesus forever, is through faith in Jesus. And what he is about to do uh, at this point in John's Gospel, in going to the cross, in dying to pay the price for our sins, and in opening the way for us to enter into eternal life through faith. But it's not all future benefits. It's not like the disciples had to mope around waiting for them one day to go into the Father's house. Jesus also tells them there are good things for them now. As we heard uh, with Scripture Union, there, 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 there's life to the full. He's already told them in chapter 10, uh, verse 10. God has promised 
benefit for his disciples, those who trust in him, not just for all eternity in the Father's house, but in the here and now as they await that day. So let's have a look at what Jesus says in our reading today. Jesus' departure, we see, is opening up this whole new range of experiences for the disciples. And they're things that we also can experience as we live uh, on the other side uh, of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And as we see Jesus teach his disciples here uh, in this part of the scriptures, uh, I think we have one of those great moments that remind us that God knows better than we do about a whole range of things. whole range of things? All things. I wonder if you've ever caught yourself thinking, I wish Jesus was still around. You know, if Jesus was still around, then he could come into my school and introduce himself and people would be captivated by him, surely. Or if Jesus was around, I could bring him to work with me And everyone would be like, whoa, hey, Jesus, what's going on? And they'd all want to believe in him. Or if Jesus was still here, he'd come to dinner with my family and they'd have no choice but to believe in him. I wonder if you've ever thought like that. Sometimes I find myself thinking, gosh, things would be a bit easier if I could just produce Jesus right there in the flesh and and kind of get him to show, show up. But of course... It's where the Bible's helpful to kind of correct your faulty thinking about things, isn't it? Because Jesus did all of those things, right? He did show up at people's family meals and he did show up in their workplaces and in their homes and they all killed him. People saw Jesus in the flesh and they wanted him dead. That's the first thing that the Bible teaches us. But the second thing it teaches us, and as it shows us here, is that God's plan actually is that Jesus is going to send the Spirit onto his church, onto individual believers, to empower each of us to be missionaries in the world so that there's not just one human going around pointing people to God, but millions and millions and millions. And this is part of God's good plan for the nations, for the world. You and me, empowered by the Spirit to tell the world about Jesus. Verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's a little bit confusing to kind of unpack what Jesus is saying here, but it's the first good outcome of Jesus going, that there will be greater things done than Jesus has done now. But what does Jesus mean? Because naturally, I think as we read this, our minds turn to John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And we think, that was pretty great. I'd like to raise someone from the dead. Maybe I'm going to raise three people from the dead. That's greater than what Jesus has done. But actually, I don't think that's what Jesus means at all. The greater things is the expansion of the mission of Jesus to the world. Jesus' ministry is geographically 
limited. He ministers in Israel, in one small corner of the world. And, of course, many scholars have spilt much ink over what these verses mean. But the greater works, I think, are the expanding mission that we read of in Acts and and then we've experienced ourselves through the unfolding of human history of the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The greater works mean more lives transformed by the power of the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the advocate who Jesus promises in these verses. There is no greater work that God does than to turn someone who is spiritually dead into a living spiritual being. There is no greater work than the conversion of a soul. Everything else is almost like a gimmick, if you will. But when someone turns from their sins and has their heart, which is hardened, broken open by the Spirit of God... And when the gospel spreads as lives are transformed all the way from Jerusalem to Tasmania, these are the greater things. And it's not that there won't be miracles along the way. But I don't think what Jesus says here is, you're going to do way cooler miracles than me. Rather, you're going to see the people respond in faith in even greater ways than they have whilst I've been here on earth. And that's rather a remarkable thing, especially when at up to this point in the story, the disciples seem a little bit pathetic. We've heard in chapter 13 about how one of them is going to betray him and the, another one of them is going to deny him and we know in fact that all of them kind of ran away. They're a, they're, they're a deserting, betraying, disappointing bunch. How is it that they are going to be the ones to do greater things? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pick up at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. When Jesus goes, he will send the Spirit to be with them in a new and profound way. And one of the things that I think is a bit uh, difficult as we're tracking with Jesus through these parts of the Scripture is that he, he's both talking about... Uh, a future time after he's ascended to, the, to his father and sends the spirit, but also he's talking about when he rises from the, the dead. When he rises from the dead, he's going to reveal himself to the disciples, and when he ascends to heaven, he's going to send the spirit to them. And this will make the disciples distinct from the world. It will empower them for their mission to the world, a world which has rejected Jesus and will continue to do so. The Holy Spirit comes to the disciples in all their imperfections, with all their desires for safety that overcome their desire to serve the Lord, but that empower them 
and enable them to do what it is that they ultimately want to do, which is be all in for Jesus. The Spirit enables and equips them and to serve Jesus and to be obedient to him. And we see obedience reference, don't we, through, uh, throughout. Take a look at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And Jesus replied in verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teacher, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The Spirit not only enables uh, uh, these greater things through empowering the disciples for mission, and us too, it also enables our desire to obey Jesus as his followers. When we do that, and the Spirit works in us, we are loved by the Father and the Spirit comes and makes his home with us. Spirit-empowered mission, enabling our obedience, God dwelling with us. This is a remarkable gift that God gives us, that the disciples will have when Jesus uh, ascends to the Father and leaves them. But it's not just that. The Spirit will also teach them and give them peace. Verse 25, All this I have spoken with you while with you, still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. He's going to help the disciples to stay true to Jesus. He's going to inspire them as they write to the churches and instruct them to live according to God's word. He's given us this wonderful book that we're looking at today called the Bible, which is spirit-inspired instruction. And he continues to work in us to help us to understand it and to submit our lives to it. And as we do that, the spirit gives us peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It can be very difficult to be a Christian. We've already heard stories today about when we find ourselves in the midst of a dark world, how unsettling and upsetting it can be. But Jesus promises to give us peace. True peace, deep peace, lasting peace. Peace which is required as he sends us on mission in a world that killed him and will be out to kill us too. Peace that calms our hearts and our minds and enables us to represent Jesus in the world. Are you excited for the greater things, the mission of God in the world that he's left with us, but not alone, by the Spirit, empowering us and enabling our loving obedience, teaching us and giving us peace? It's a wonderful picture of God's plan for us, God's gift to us, but for all of it to happen, we had to jump out of the plane. Jesus 
had to go to the cross, had to die, ascend to the Father and send the Spirit. It is good that Jesus is not here. It has enabled phase two of the mission of God in the world. The disciples couldn't see that as they had spent three years with Jesus in the flesh. But you and I know, as people who come after the death and resurrection of Jesus, who come after the ascension of Jesus, who live with the Spirit empowering us, that this is indeed a wonderful way to live. Not easy. We need the Spirit-empowered peace, absolutely. But we do have God's Spirit, the Advocate, dwelling with us. As we seek to be obedient to Jesus, God making his home by the Spirit in us. We are Spirit-empowered disciples ready to do the mission of God, to tell the world about Jesus. And we experience Spirit-empowered life in the church when we gather to sit under his word, to encourage one another, to pray and to see God move in our lives and in the lives of our friends and family. God's spirit enlightens our hearts and our minds. He enables our obedience and he gives us deep and abiding peace. I wonder if you've experienced that peace yet. It's available you simply need to trust him and he will give it to you by his spirit. Amen. Amen.